0: Hey, everybody, it's Penny, and we're back with another episode of the podcast. And today I have a special guest. Now, in the past, you know, when I've had guests on, a lot of them have worked with me, but this is really different. This is someone who I met in a coaching program. I sat back and I watched as she just grew. And we chatted not too long ago, and her business is just growing. And I had asked her if she would be willing to come onto the podcast and share with you about her journey. Because like me, she started out basically in the healthcare field. She's a speech language pathologist. Uh, she's works with occupational therapists. And so to make that move from you know, being dedicated to working with people one-on-one To becoming a very successful business owner there is a lot of identity shift that has to happen there's a lot of belief change that has to happen and rather than sit here and read through her bio because it is impressive I'm just going to hand it over to Hallie and allow her to introduce herself and what she feels are the most significant points everybody Hallie Vulcan. Thank you so much for being here today. I'm looking forward to this conversation and to see where it takes us.
1: Well, thank you, Henny, so much for having me. I always love our chats. And you know, I think that um, if you had asked me like 10 years ago, 15 years ago, if I would be doing what I'm doing today, I probably would have laughed. When I was younger, I always knew that I wanted to own my own business. I had no clue what that meant. I had no clue what that looked like. But before I ever went to college, I thought it would be something in the financial field. Because I had a family member who had a business and I'm like, now I kind of laugh because it's evolved and it's nowhere close to that. But I do own my own businesses
0: at this point. (laughs) So you mentioned 10 to 15 years ago, and that's a familiar story for me as well. 10 years ago, if you had told me that I would fall in love with something that allowed me to open a business and actually walk away from a career that I spent years and years and years training for, I would have said, you're crazy. So what was happening 10 to 15 years ago in your life?
1: Um, Well, I graduated grad school I started as a speech-language pathologist in the schools, which I never wanted to do, Um, but I had signed this agreement that they would pay for a majority of my graduate school program in exchange for a contract saying, hey, you're going to come work for us for three years in the public schools, and it was guaranteed income, right? So it was sort of like my parents were like, you're silly not to sign that. I mean, I was young and I kind of knew that I didn't want to do that. And at that point, I wish I knew more about following my own intuition and not just doing what I felt like seemed like the right thing to do based on all these external sources at the time. Um, But I cried for about three years straight because I did not enjoy that experience. And I did maneuver my way out of working in like the preschool setting more just and I love this age group. I just didn't love the setting I was in and the bureaucracy and all the red tape of working in a public school was just not for me. Um, I did shift to like an infant and taller program. I loved that more, but but by that point, that was like going into year three. I was like, uh-uh, I'm out the day that my, I tried so hard. I had a boyfriend at the time who was a lawyer and he was reading my contracts and he was like, there's no way around it. If you leave, you have to pay them like 22 K. And you know, as someone who's making like, that's, a chunk of my income, right? You know, that's not so high after taxes. It's about maybe what I had left at that point. I was like, I, I I'm stuck. I felt really stuck. Right. And at that now I realize you're never stuck. But at that point in my life, I felt stuck and it was so liberating the last day of that contract to be like, peace out. I'm out of here. And I did leave. Um, but I got into network marketing, and I actually replaced the income first in a network marketing company in order to give my sense that give myself that sense of like safety and security at that time that I was seeking um, financially to be able to make that move. So that that was kind of step one in that process ten to fifteen years ago.
0: <laughs> there is so much in what you just shared, and I think the first thing I really want to hit on is your parents told you you would be crazy not to take it. Even though a part of you knew, and so many people fall into that. I mean, I grew up hearing Penny. You can do anything you want to do if you put your mind to it. Oh, you better get good grades and go to college.
1: Right, right, exactly.
0: <laughs> Same. And, yeah. So many entrepreneurs I know. It's not blanket, but so many that I know who are successful and run multi million dollar businesses. They never finished college. Some mm. of them never even went. Yeah. So, you know, elaborate on that a little bit about what you've learned in terms of trusting your intuition rather than falling back on these stories, yeah, and beliefs that get put on us.
1: I mean, I would say that so this would have been back in 2012. Um, that, that was probably the first time that I truly trusted my intuition. I said, I got to get out of here. This is not healthy for me. This is not, this is not where I'm headed. Um, and at that point I was so, I just felt burnt out and I didn't really even want to be a speech pathologist anymore. So I, I actually didn't practice for about eight months and about eight months later, I said, you know, I really don't want to do like weight loss stuff. Like that's not what I'm on this earth for. Like I, it's made me money. It's helped me in this transition, but like, I'm kind of over these, this network marketing gig. Like it's maybe for someone else, not for me. Um, I really miss working with the babies and the toddlers. And I really want to go back to doing what I was doing. And so I did go work for a private practice, um, for a year. We almost partnered. We ended up not that was that conversation happened after I already had come to her and said, Hey, I'm basically going to follow my gut and open my own practice. June one, 20, 2014. This was now. Um, and, So I did exactly that opened up my own practice and it was liberating. I mean, it was like, I didn't know where the money was coming from. I just knew it would come. And I trusted in that. And I trusted in that if I delivered the best therapy to my patients at the time, and I go above and beyond. And now there's other stories here too that we can unpack. Um, but and because going above and beyond for me meant like I wasn't sleeping. I wasn't taking care of myself. I was overdoing, overcommitting, basically a yes person to all my patients because I wanted to be the best and I wanted to build that reputation. And it didn't really suck or punch me in the gut until one of my patients wrote a testimonial that said, Hallie answers emails at 1 a.m. And I went, no, I don't. Oh my gosh, I do. Like, I got to stop doing this. I was like, we can't tell the world this. Like, it's not okay. But, you know, it's another part of that evolution in the story. And, you know, ever basically I've worked for myself ever since June 1st, 2014. Um, and it's been an amazing journey and a very big learning experience. And there's been many stories that have evolved and changed over the time.
0: Yeah, I think most new entrepreneurs can probably relate to that over delivery. Like, I, I think it's really important to yeah. give people more than what they expect. But sometimes that over-delivery becomes over-commitment. And we do put ourselves on the back burner. Uh, There was a survey where 95% of the entrepreneurs surveyed said that they had experienced burnout. Mm. And I think the number was 72% for anxiety. So I guess it depends on where our mindset gets. But what I heard you say that I love one is that it was about the service. Yeah. It was totally about the service and that you were trusting that that money was going to come. Now, have you always had that trusting relationship with money or was that something you had to cultivate?
1: Um, so I grew up in a very like comfortable, like middle-class you know, household, um, where there wasn't lack, you know, I had whatever I wanted. And then I went to work for an event planner actually, who paid me very, very, very well. And I chose like not to do other extracurricular activities because I interned for her in high school and I worked for her on the weekends. And so I think that I developed a relationship with money very early on that was, you know, I understood that you had to make money to spend it because that was, but also, I also heard things like, money doesn't grow on trees. Just because we have money doesn't mean we just go spend it. Just because you like it in pink doesn't mean you buy it in blue and red too. You know, it's like, but also it was different depending on who I was talking to, like my mom versus my dad, more scarcity versus more like abundance. Right. And so I was kind of getting both of that. And I think that really played out um, because when I made the decision to take that school, uh, you know, contract in exchange for, you know, having most of grad school covered, I think that was from a lack, right? That was scarcity mindset of like, oh, I'm going to have loans, I have to pay back, and oh, I don't want to have loans, and and you know, oh, what if I can't find a job, and what if you know, I don't like the pay or whatever. Um, but working, not trusting my my gut, not trusting my intuition, really led me into a period of my life where I went, I never want to do that again because that was, I was contractually obligated, or I had to pay what for like a very large sum of money. And now I look back and I'm like, oh man, I should have just paid the money and gone out much sooner. But here we are, right? Everything in retrospect. Um, but after that, I think there was that shift because then I realized, you know what, money is a tool. It's just money's energy. I've learned like, you know, over the years that I used it as a tool to help me make the shift I wanted to make and to help me change my story. And I think at that point, that's when I kind of took control of it versus letting
0: it, me
1: feeling like it was controlling me.
0: Yeah, I I think- So much of the world, well, let's say particularly here in the U.S., there's this mindset that we're at the mercy of how much money we have, and that is just so completely the opposite of uh, reality, and I remember sitting on my kitchen floor at 2 in the morning. This was 2017, 28. It was in 2017 sitting on my kitchen floor, 2 a.m., with my dog in my lap, bawling, because I had opened my hypnosis practice in Connecticut, uh, just to be a little side hustle, to maintain skills, until I retired, and once that entrepreneur bug bit, it it just, nothing else was going to do, and without even much effort, I cut my anesthesia hours by half within a year, Mm -hmm. and Then I closed the practice down when we moved to Mississippi. Completely different demographic. Zoom wasn't a thing yet. Mm -hmm. And I I just, I felt trapped in this job that completely uh, wasn't fulfilling anymore. Like I love to give anesthesia. But it was the dynamic of the delivery system, like you were talking about the dynamic of the school system. Yeah, it, it, it was that dynamic. And I had changed jobs so that I could work three 13 hour shifts and begin to reopen a hypnosis practice. But the environment was so toxic in this state run hospital level one trauma center, the energy, if if you're listening and you're not sensitive to energy, you won't get this, but I know that Hallie will, when you're sensitive to energy, it it was just heavy, Mm -hmm. and I would sit, and I would cry, I have made the worst decision of my life, and to get out is freeing, it's amazing, so your life has continued to take an evolution, and we were talking before we came on, you're about you're getting ready to launch yet another business. So what has been your journey? So here you are, you're in this practice, you you get a testimonial that says, oh, happy answers emails at 1 a.m. And you're like, oh no. Walk me through a little bit of the shifts yeah. that took place for you to move from being the practitioner into this business owner role and taking ownership for what you were creating?
1: Yeah, so first I want to say that, you know, once a mentor told me that if I'm a night owl and I want to work night hours, like don't make it wrong, right? Right. And I was like, huh, that's a different shift in the story and perspective. Okay, I like that because I am a night owl. Having children makes that challenging when you have to get up early yes. to send them to school or you you run a practice that operates during daytime hours. So, you know, I've always felt like, you know, for my kids, I will do anything, but it's hard to do that for my kids and for everybody else. And so that's where I think this shift started to come where, you know, I went from zero to six figures in eight months from opening Amazing. my practice doors. And everyone started saying, how are, you, how are you doing this? How are you doing this? And so I started, I also got pregnant uh, about four months into, or about six months into starting my practice and with my first child. And I knew I was going to need like help and everything. And so that just kind of automatically shifted me into like business owner, whether I was ready for it or not, because one, I had people asking me for mentorship and two, I had the need to, if I want to keep making money and I want to take maternity leave and decide when I want to come back and not have this like prescribed amount of time. Cause Hey, I work for myself, but also if I don't work, I don't get paid right now. Cause this is a one-to-one kind of situation. Um, I got to bring on a team member. I got to bring on somebody to take over my caseload. And then that shifted into, okay, now people want me after school hours, but I want to be home by three. I've got, a, you know, I'm going to have a little one soon. And I don't, I'm already starting work at 8.00 AM. Like I'm done by two 30, um, treating at least. And so I brought on like an after school therapist. And so just by demand of what life was bringing my way, I think that I was very open to, okay, all right. We're there, Something shifting and I have two choices. I can either shut it down, or I can keep growing it and see what happens. And and I've always been very in tune with responding to the market. And so you know, my patients would say, um, "Hey, you know, we need OT." oh, I don't have an OT, but let me see if other patients need OT. Maybe I'll hire a contractor that can provide some OT sessions part-time to some of our families, you know, And, and I can always refer out, but part of the issue was like long wait lists or people wanted someone traveling to them. Like we did, they, they liked the level of care we were providing. It felt very boutique. It felt very, you know, they saw their child was making progress. And part of that was my value system. And like, you know, you had highlighted, yes, I want to make money. I'm a business owner, but when I get into anything in business, I do it out of one, there's a need, but two, this is my passion. And I feel like there's a big shift that can be made if I'm bringing this to those who need it. And so it's really more about the patients or the other business owners I might be coaching or the therapists that I might be teaching. Um, It's not about me, right? It's much bigger than me. I feel like I'm just kind of a, a, I'm bringing the message forward. Um, So that was definitely like step one in that shift of, you know, okay, let's put on our business owner hat and you're not just a business owner anymore now, or not just a therapist anymore. Now it's like, we've got multiple hats. You're a therapist, a business owner, a biller, all these other admin things right now until I hired an admin, you know? Yeah.
0: All the things. (laughs) It can be quite a bit. And I, I think it's wonderful that you were able to see that because not and and I wonder if it has to do with the time that you spent with the event planner in anticipation, like learning that level of, of stepping back and looking at the bigger picture. Because not everyone has the benefit of uh you know being surrounded by people that look beyond what's right in front of them. Mm-hmm. And if you could give a piece of advice or a nugget of wisdom around how to cultivate uh, that mindset to look beyond the right now, what would it be? Um,
1: So one of the things that the event planner taught me was there's always a solution. There's always a solution. And I think that's always stuck with me because people were paying her big money. And she said, we're getting paid to fix things behind the scenes. So nobody knows there was ever a problem. And mm-hmm. while that was stressful working in that environment, especially as like a younger you know, child and a teen into my college years, um, it taught me a lot of life lessons because moving into owning my own business, if there's an issue... I deal with it. And if there's a customer service thing, well, I want the customer to be happy, but I'm also, I've got boundaries, I've got rules. We've got things they sign on intake, you know? So I'm not gonna let somebody walk all over me and do things that are not fair, but at the same time, I'm gonna handle things with grace. And I'm gonna, you know, the way that I approach things is I try to keep everyone's best interests in mind. And, you know, people say to me all the time, like, wow, that was like really beautifully written, like an email response to like maybe an angry client or something about whatever. And I said, well, you know, we got to put ourselves in someone else's position. We don't, this is probably not about me. I'm just on the receiving end of it. So let's try and diffuse it and see what happens, right? They say kill them with kindness Um, because oftentimes people aren't expecting that. And then when you do, it really helps to kind of level out the, the energy around that conversation in most cases, not always. Um, but no, I would say there is always a solution to every problem. Um, but I've learned to sit in the silence and figure out what that is, because I can't tell, even when I coach other business owners, I can't tell you what your solution is. I can help guide you to it, but you have to figure that out for yourself, you know, energetically and, and based on the right here and right now, and, or maybe sit in some silence and then see what comes through. Um, and I didn't have that ability to sit in silence at that point in my life. But what I did recognize was I would at least sit back and take a moment to
0: kind of just absorb it all before responding. I think that's so important. I was actually having a conversation with someone this morning and, you know, they were contemplating whether or not they need a business coach and they're, they're fairly successful And they named off a couple of areas where they would like to focus. I said, then why not hire an expert in one of those areas? And there are many business coaches out there and some will guide you to discover what's right for you. And it seems like you already know what you need. I said, and then there are others who are going to say, this is my method you have to follow my method or we can't work together so you want to be very discerning of who you work with in that sense but i totally agree taking that moment to be in silence if for nothing more than to take yourself out of the emotions of the situation so that you're not making decisions with your feelings is so important and I also think that's one of the biggest pieces of advice from a lot of really successful business coaches. You know, you see a lot of these people who've taken real estate or affiliate marketing, they're in eight figures and now they're business coaching and they tell people, Oh, ignore your feelings. You got to push past your feelings. And I think it communicates the wrong message. Yeah. I think what they mean is don't run your business from your feelings. Sometimes we do have to allow things to process so that when you get that email, you can respond with grace. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the things that I do in my practice as well. You know, sometimes people come and they really want me to fix it for them. I help people figure from the inside out Mm
1: -hmm.
0: what it is that they need. I, I don't give advice to people because that would be projecting my beliefs in my situation Onto them. So here you are. You're going to be having this baby. You're bringing people on. How do we get to the point that you have practices in six states? That's so impressive. We, thank
1: you. Thank you. And it's, you know, some is more minimal than others, but by nature of living in Maryland, I was right next to DC and Virginia. So everyone was just like, "Oh, well, I live in Arlington." I'm like, "Well, I have to have therapists that are licensed there. I can't just, we can't zoom you. We can't go, drive over the DC line or the Maryland line into Virginia and just see you because you're five minutes away." No, I have to have a team. So that was the first piece of evolution, and then just by nature of over the years having people come to me and ask if you know they could work for me or. you know, a lot of requests coming repeatedly from certain areas where I said, you know what, it would be great to have a therapist who's licensed in this state. And so, um, that's where it's, it's evolved into six different states. Three have a very tiny team. The other three have a much larger team. Um, but you know, even my therapy team has evolved over time and become more specialized in a lot of what I was doing, like with feeding and Mayo and these other sub niches in my, in my, um, business or my practice, Um, as well. So it's just, it's been this whole big, beautiful evolution of um, what, what did the market request? And did it make sense to, to answer? that request basically. Um, And, and yeah. And then from there I was training my team. I was doing free trainings on my couch in my living room to help give them continuing ed hours. And because I was very excited about what I was learning in these niche spaces that I said, you know, I really want to impart this on my team and see who else is interested because I think some of them will also go down this rabbit hole. They'll get really interested in these, you know, these topics and it won't just be me. Who is treating these patients? I need more people than just Hallie, um, which then allowed me later to step out of treating altogether because now I've got
0: others who specialize this. And yeah, okay. So I'm going to ask the million dollar question—no pun intended. <laughs> Kids, multiple locations. You're running continuing education for your people. Where was your self care? Where where was taking care of Hallie in all of that?
1: So at that point, I was only working, like once I had my second child, for example, I was only treating about two part days a week um, because I didn't want to be out of the house. I wanted to be home with my baby and, and I didn't go back until she was maybe five, six, seven. I don't even remember how many months old. My first one, I went back at five months. My second one might've been a little bit longer, but I went back when I felt ready to go back. And when I had somebody, I trusted to be with my baby for like six hours, twice a week. And I felt that it was very healthy for me to have that change in scenery. Um, At that point, we had an established breastfeeding relationship, you know, I was able to go and do what I loved and, you know, treat and work with other kids. And then I also carved out time for the admin side of things, but I also had an administrative assistant at this point. So I wasn't doing intake calls or onboarding or connecting therapists. You know, I was here as needed, um, for things, but the business really was not taking, it was part-time. It wasn't taking up a lot of my time. Um, I even built in 45 minutes to that person who was with my youngest, you know, that twice a week to come home and I'd go right. We were in a townhouse. I'd go right from the garage into the basement. I would work out and then I would go upstairs before I even went to see my family, because I knew if I went upstairs, it wasn't happening. Um, But, you know, I tried to build in and it's hard, you know, it was really hard trying to balance everything. Um, That's been one of the things that even today I still work on, you know, that's a work in progress always. But I now look at it as like, I call them workplace, like home slash work boundaries, not balance. Um, And I don't make it wrong if I need to spend more of my time in one versus another at a certain part or season, because that happens as a business owner.
0: I, I think that's so important. And when you say it was hard to find that, are you speaking just to the juggling or did you feel overcommitted or was it just finding what worked for you
1: so i think it was all of the above i mean i think you know i'm a mom of two i like cooking when i don't have children <laughs> I don't love cooking anymore. Um, I, you know, I felt this pressure to eat healthy because I'm breastfeeding my child, but then also like, where's the time to cook? And so I'm trying to meal plan on a Sunday, but really I want to just be relaxing with my family or doing right. something fun, right? You know, and then I'm trying to exercise, which I always feel better when I do it. So awesome. But getting myself to the point of, of hitting play on a thing and starting to exercise was the bigger challenge. Um, you know, it was more so just, staying consistent and making it more of a habit which I struggled with and and honestly I think part of it was I wasn't sleeping all the time I had a baby who was still nursing and I was up a lot at night and so my brain was just not you know now I have two kids we know there are physical changes biologically with you know with having children um but then I also you know still needed to show up for my patients twice a week which I decided to do but it's not like I could just call out all the time and be like I'm not coming in today I need to sleep a couple more hours no it's like I'm going to get up and go because it's not going to be any different tomorrow so you know it's it was a true juggle and I think when I say it was hard I think it was hard because I looking back probably overcommitted at the time um even though I felt like I was doing everything I wanted to do there just weren't really enough hours in the day to do everything I wanted to do and still sleep. (laughs)
0: Right. Yeah. I think with, you know, my kids were teenagers when I started my business, so I can't relate to that aspect of having kids and working to run the business. But I, I, I think that you're right. There's so much that we, we want to do. And sometimes delaying some of that gratification but then to not get into the place where we're always denying ourselves what we want so we can be fulfilled and not become resentful of the business or of the family or having to maintain the house now i know that you and i connected in december Mm -hmm. and we had a conversation and you ended up getting a house manager and i'm sure some people are going to be listening to this and go oh yeah that's real nice but this is this has been a gradual step-by-step process. Mm-hmm. And yes, it was hard to find a way to have those boundaries to do the things that you wanted to do. But I want people to really hear who might be thinking about entrepreneurship and you know, who are mothers, the value in you owning your business is that, you decided to work two half days a week. Yeah. You didn't have an employer over you saying, no, no, you have to come back 32 hours. And then you're looking at a childcare bill. It's right. like, well, it just doesn't even make sense for me to go to work. Yeah. And that in and of itself, your your commitment to showing up, to not hitting the snooze, to stay committed to your patients and to your family It gave you the ability to create this lifestyle that suits your values. And I think that as women, we need to support each other more in this arena because we've been uh, indoctrinated, domesticated, raised, parented, whatever you want to call it, that we have to do everything. And and we don't have to do everything, and we're not locked into what our mother's life looked like, right? Yeah,
1: no, I I love that, and I think that has been a big driving factor for me um, when I decided I wanted to create this online business. And I I worked on myself first, um, and that's where we met each other was in that you know program that I was going through where I really I actually got into it for business. And then I went, oh didn't we all? (laughs) Well, um, okay, I have to work on me first. So I'm gonna go like through three months of working on me and then we're gonna come back and I'll start working on the business after, um, which was amazing. I'm so glad that I stumbled upon that. And that was part of my journey because it's changed me and for the better in so many ways. Um, but at that same time, I was like, okay, I know I want a business. I just don't really know like where I want to start. I have an idea. I want a course, right? So I signed up for another course that taught me how to create an online business. And, um, I maybe did a third of it. I went to the course live in person. I really liked the person who was teaching it. I really connected with them and, um, in a way that it helped me get very clear on what I wanted. And that clarity is what I think just helped me move forward in everything. Cause this was back in 2019. So I'd already I like started to
0: say we yeah. did the business portion together in 2020. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's been three and a half years. Yeah. Continue I, what you were, your thought, and then tell us how far you've come in that three and a half years. Yeah. So I launched my podcast summer of
1: 2019. Um, I still was not, I, I knew what I wanted to talk about generally. So that's great for a podcast because I can talk, I can bring on guests easy, right? Well, at least it felt, didn't feel easy in the beginning, but then it right. became very easy but I still didn't know like what I wanted my course to be. Right. So fast forward to October of that year, I've already, this is how I do things in my life. I hire people and I pay them because if I know that I've got the team, there waiting on me, I'm going to move forward. So I hired an ads team. Um, in like August of 2019, I hired a copywriting team. I was go, I was like, guys, I'm, I'm going to this live thing. When I come back, it's like, you know, head down. Let's go like, put me on your calendar. Like, let's go. Um, and that's exactly what we did. And a colleague of mine kind of shifted my perspective too, and said, Hey, what I feel like is really missing in the med medical SLP world is like a pediatric feeding course. And I was like, at first I was like, I don't like being told what to do by anybody. So when she was like, she said that I was like, no, 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 no. I was like, "Ah, oh, that sounds heavy. That sounds hard. That sounds, I'm not the expert in that. I was like, I do work with pediatric feeding, but like I'm not the expert in all things pediatric feeding. I'm very very niche. So she was like, I mean, so then she did the other thing that I don't like. She said, Well, that's fine. I'll just go ask somebody else to do it. I was like, No, no. I feel like I need to do this. <laughs> like, I mean, she knows like how to like shift things, right? So, anyways, I was like, Let me sleep on it. I'll get back to you tomorrow. So I took some time and I thought about it and I kind of went, Huh. I wonder if I could bring in other people to help me create this course because nobody's an expert in all things peds feeding, but. There's no course out there that exists that does X, Y, and Z. And so I created that and um, I, you know, I won't go through all the back-end business side of things, but I basically took $50,000 from my private practice and invested it instead of, you know, going on a bunch of fancy vacations or whatever, using that money somewhere else. Um, I basically took that money. I invested it into this new business and launched this online business. That is how I hired the copywriter and ads team ran Facebook ads. And I said to them, I went and I said, look, what do I need to do? Like financially? Cause I don't know this world. So what what do I need to do? If I want to do a hundred thousand dollar launch my first time going in, I want to make hundred K and they were like, okay, like if that's what you want, that's going to be an investment. I was like, I'm here for it. Let's do it. I just fully trusted it. Um, the other thing too, one of my mentors at the time always said was be unattached to the outcome. And, you know, that's hard sometimes when you're investing all this money, you're like, I'm putting 50K into something and I want hundred K out of the first launch, but you want yeah. me to be unattached to it. And so that was definitely a learning experience over time to be unattached to it. And I think by letting go and also by truly, again, just following the bigger mission. If I can create more pediatric feeding therapists, we can help more of these children who are sitting on wait lists, these families who are struggling to feed their children, their babies, you know, there was just this fire lit under my butt. Like I was like, I just, this is so much larger than me, which was both a little intimidating at the time, but at the same time, it, it just drove the passion and it pushed me forward. And so I actually launched that business on March, March 16, 2020, as the world shut down. Um so shut down. As
0: the world, as the world turns.
1: World <laughs> yeah, as the world turns. And what a lot of people don't know about me was I we were, were not planning on getting pregnant, but I did. And I actually was having a miscarriage at that same time. Oh so God. I'm like, we're in the middle of like a pandemic starting. No one knows what's happening. And I going into my first ever launch. And then I remember that week driving like down K street in Washington, DC, there was not a single person on the road. Cause I was going for, I they, nobody was open. So I had to drive. I lived in Bethesda. Normally that would take me over an hour. It took me like 15 minutes to get down to K street. And I was like, what is that? It was, it was bizarre, but it's like these things imprinted in my mind. And you know, I, I probably really, I don't know if I upset the tech or the doctor, but they're probably like, what is wrong with this person? I looked at them and I said, "Look." Can you just give me the news? Like I just just lay it on me because everybody talks around things. And I'm like, we have all these unknowns around us right now. I have two healthy babies at home. Like I've got my I've got my family. I'm not that I was happy with what was happening, but I said, Can I go home and drink wine tonight? Like (laughs) I was just like, just lay it on me. And they looked at me like, what is wrong with you? (laughs) And I was like, You know, I make, sometimes I make light of things in a certain way and pull humor in energetically when it's a hard situation. Um, but I think I had enough other, and I was using business as a distraction for sure, but like I had enough other things going on and we, I had no idea what was coming ahead. And I said, I don't know that I even want to embark on that journey with all these unknowns. So I'm just going to trust that whatever happened was meant to happen. And I know a lot of people don't necessarily agree with that approach and that's fine. But in my life, I was like, it is what it is. And I'm not going to yeah. make anything
0: more of it. Yeah. I think that trusting in whatever happens, happens. Doesn't mean you're giving up. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think that some people do do that. I went through that when I opened the hypnosis practice, I opened it knowing that my stepmom was ill and my dad had Alzheimer's and that any moment if a job opening happened in Mississippi I would be moving but something kept pulling me and it was like do this and I literally had to give over and say you know what you just open the door and I'll walk through it like Mm -hmm. whatever direction it is and that level of trust in letting go is what allowed it to happen I remember that one month um i I had booked in a client and then they called me they're like i I have to cancel all my sessions can't do this for whatever reason and i'm sitting there at the end of september getting ready to go into october I have a couple of clients who are going to wrap up and i'm like i don't have anybody in the pipeline like is the phone gonna ring and when the phone rang it was an emergency at home and what had happened is the universe had paved the way. Those yep. clients had rolled off, and the universe had just paved the way that when this emergency happened, I was able to focus 100% of attention on my family. I didn't have not one client that I needed to cancel. Yeah. I didn't have any uh, catch up to do. And it was amazing. As soon as the dust settled, I go back into my office, the phone starts ringing. And I book up with clients. Yeah. Isn't it amazing? It, it just gets taken care of. Yeah. So what do you have uh coming up uh in your future yeah. with your business?
1: So basically the past since that date. Um I've had an online business, continuing ed company, courses, memberships, certifications, mentor—you know, all the stuff. Um, I've always taken this approach where I call it the elevation movement, but it's basically identity, skill set, and mentorship. And I've basically intertwined that without realizing into everything I'm doing. So I don't call it like my methodology because I created it and then forced everything around it. We kind of came back after the fact and went, "Hey, we kind of see a theme and part it into everything that we're doing." And I think that's what attracts my people to me. Um, yeah. cause other people are not talking about identity and as a yeah. feeding therapist they're telling them either they can't be a feeding therapist or, you know, whatever. So because of that, I've had a lot of requests to mentor over the years and it's gone anywhere from clinical mentorship to business mentorship. And I love business mentorship. (laughs) Like I've had um, a mastermind that I've run in the past that we're going to do probably again, we're just kind of figuring out what that looks like and when. Um, But I recently hired a um, COO into this, the online business. Uh, So I'm very much so not involved in the daily practice. I stopped practicing as a clinician. Um, I actually was taking a break February, 2020, because I knew I was launching the course and I wanted the time and space for that and my family and so I kept telling everybody, I'm on a sabbatical. I'm going on a one-year sabbatical. Well, I never really came back. I'm still on that sabbatical, um, <laughs> which is fine. But there was definitely like an identity death in a sense of like going yeah. from treating therapists. And like you mentioned before, spending all this time and effort into in a career and getting those credentials and that, that identity of being an SLP and a feeding therapist and a myotherapist to now kind of in this. I'm actually kind of going through it again in a sense, because everyone still sees me that way. Even though I tell people I don't treat anymore, I, I have this continuing ed company and I'm the face of it. So people still see me as this like expert, even though I'm not fully assessing and treating patients. Um, so now I'm kind of going through this shift of like, Oh, people are going to realize I'm really, really, really not treating when I now opened up this third business. Um, but now we're, we're currently working on getting everything just in a really good, healthy place, um, with my new COO and my team so that things can also operate without me being in the current online business every day. Um, and that's evolved already, even just since March when the COO joined us. And at that point I wanted to light my business on fire and burn it all down. Mm -hmm. And my business mentor would not let me thankfully. Um, because it was just, there was a lot of things that I'd hired somebody who basically was there to create all the systems and automate things and really help take me out of the day-to-day and just kind of have me in the parts that I needed to be in. And none of that was ever done, but they were paid for that for several years. And I, anyways, big lesson learned in leadership and, uh, you know, hiring. Um, but you know, the team has been an amazing place now. I'm so very grateful for everyone and all of my team who stuck with me through all of that. None of them left, thankfully. Um, but we're now shifting so that I can move into business number three, which is really geared towards mentoring other business owners. And I'm still developing what that is going to look like. I am not putting too much energy exactly into um getting clear on that until I feel like I have the right space for it. But I, what I can say is that I know that a lot of the the individuals who are attracted, you know, towards me now are either private practice owners or therapists who either want to go into private practice or they want to develop some kind of an online business because yeah. they're burnt out or because they want to work for themselves. And so it'll be open to more than SLPs, OTs, yeah. PTs, et cetera. Um, but yeah, that's, that's where I'm headed. Yeah.
0: they There's something I want to touch on and I, I segued, um, without touching on it. You mentioned that first launch in March, 2020, you wanted that hundred thousand, uh, the streets are deserted. You are asking the doctors to just be straight up with you about what's happening with that miscarriage. How did that phase of life, did it, did it impact your business?
1: No. I wouldn't, I mean, I think everything impacts everything, right? But I think that it had a very positive impact because what I saw was a lot of people living in fear. And I saw myself also going through a challenging situation where I just, you know, I let myself sit on the couch for a week and I didn't do much yeah. because that's what I felt I needed to do. Um, I was also, my body was also experiencing things that I just needed to, you know, yes. give time to allow, but I noticed everybody was very fearful everyone thought we were going back to work in two weeks you know and when people started to realize we were not i was doing like dance parties with my kids on live zooms just to like give people a point of connection because everyone even two weeks in felt so isolated and you know people said to me they were like that was so fun and that was the best part of my week and like i just you know thank you so much for doing that and i was like well that was fun for us too and like i just felt like people needed communication connection to know they were not alone in this very interesting time we were in. Um, You know, uh, in that training, I had prepped a lot of my talks, like, because I, you know, I did this live launch five days. First day was like pre-recorded, but the four days after were live. And it was on Zoom. So they all had those connection points that week during the live launch as well. And in the first 15 minutes of each day, I basically spoke to different things that I know are big fear points even outside of what we were all going through, identity, time, you know, money, no one's talking about this in the therapy world. Like, and I'm going, I'm talking to them and telling them, Hey, it's okay to want more for yourself. It's okay to desire, want to call yourself a pediatric feeding therapist. It's okay to invest in yourself. It's okay. You know, like, and just helping them shift their thoughts and look at things through a different lens. And then saying, Hey, if this seems like it's right for you, awesome. I mean, I'd love to have you if it's not, or now's not the right time. I'll see you when it is, or I won't see you, whatever, you know, I know I'm not everybody's cup of tea. That's okay. But again, I think that came from kind of being unattached to the outcome where I said, Mm -hmm. I have a financial goal on paper, but whether I hit that or I don't hit that means absolutely nothing about me means absolutely Mm -hmm. nothing about, you know, obviously numbers and ads and running a business. Yes. Okay. You test things and analytics and yada, yada, whatever. Um, but I think that's also highly tied to the energy of the person behind the business. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. and we did 95K. Everyone nice. was home. Everyone was home. The course was 50% off at that point. So it's the first time I was launching it. And we did 95K. And I was like, Whoa, look at that. I mean, I was, I was so excited. I was like, cool. All right, let's do this again. You know, but it was more so like, let's do this again, because I had so much fun doing it. Yeah, And honestly, over the past, so we're about next week, uh, the week after we're recording this, I'm about to launch it for the 12th time. Um, and every single time I have more and more fun because it's just the connections I make with people, the light bulbs that go off the permission that I'm giving people to step into who they want to be or allow them to just think differently. You know, you, I get a lot of feedback. It's very, you know, I get feedback too. That's very nice to hear. So there's, there's something in it for me too. There's this nice energetic exchange, um, but I remember like around like launch six or something, I think I was like, do people really want to hear from me still? I mean, I've done this like the sixth time I'm doing it. Like, I feel like everyone's heard this already. And I even had to pull myself back in and be like, okay, Holly, that's ridiculous. Like if someone's yeah. joining again to hear this, it's because they enjoyed it the first time. And secondly, like there's a whole bunch more people that don't even know who you are. So like, let's just like, you know, put that aside.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely have to put that aside. And I, I just think it's, it is important work. You said it's important work. And I believe it is because that feeding with the child, that's part of the bonding yeah, process. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think enough people talk about, uh, the challenges that new mothers have. We, you know, Instagram, you see this perfect curated, you know, uh, motherhood and, mom looks nice and fresh and makeup's done and hair is done and cl- hey, are you kidding me <laughs>
1: no that was not me ever and and that i was the one who
0: i was up all night yeah. every night Yeah.
1: I struggled to feed my
0: first one. She was
1: tongue-tied. I didn't know that at the time um, until she was 24 months old because of a course that I took. I came back, I looked, I was like, oh, there it is. Okay. And then it was even hard then to get her the services she needed. So I was like, I guess I'm going to dive into this. Um, But it impacted our bond. And I was actually recording a podcast with somebody who was a guest on, I don't know if it was, I was a guest on hers or she was a guest on mine, whatever, for having this conversation. And I was almost in tears because I was like, oh my gosh, it just hit me. Like I never realized how much our relationship and bond was impacted yeah. by the feeding. I mean, it hurt. I would turn my head away and not look at her. Cause I didn't want to see her. Like, I didn't want her to see me grimacing to latch her, but I was like, so stubborn yeah. and determined to feed her until at least 12 months of age, you know, breastfeed her that she also was not a great bottle feeder. That's a whole another story. Um, but you know, that's part of me was like, I've been there as the mom. I've been there now as the patient. I've been there on the Mayo side of things. I was also that invent too, apparently. Um, I'm like, I've been there as the business owner. I've been there as the therapist. I have been there in every which way you can. And if I, if all I do is just share some information with somebody through this, through my podcast that helps somebody get the care they need and makes their journey easier. Like that was really what started it all for me.
0: That's beautiful. Where can people find out more about connecting with you, maybe working with you, whether they're a therapist, a business owner, want to be business owner.
1: Absolutely. So right now the best place to go is HallieBulkin.com. Um, and that that's my main site. It has everything on there and everything that I'll be adding in the future will be added there too. Um, or Instagram at Hallie
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much for being willing to come on and share and to be so vulnerable about experiences that you've had as a woman and a mother. Yeah. Building building your business, growing well, this business and having amazing success because that's huge. And we need more of it in the world. Thank you so much.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. I think that this is a conversation that needs to happen because as you know, women in business and moms, it's just everyone's trying to do everything and there just aren't enough hours in a day. And it really does take a tribe and that my business, I basically said, my business will help me cultivate that tribe. And that's exactly what I've done.
0: Beautiful. I absolutely love that. If you enjoyed this episode, please screenshot, share it on your Instagram stories, tag me, tag Hallie, and um, let us know what you think. Leave a review, leave some comments, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to this episode of Design Your Destiny. I would love to know what resonated most with you. So just take a screenshot of this episode, share it over on your Instagram stories and tag me at penny.chason and let me know what you thought. Also, if you head over to iTunes and you leave a positive review, it helps this podcast to help reach even more people Making a Difference, Elevating Humanity and Mankind.